electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, finding the bottom why one big-time investor thinks we're getting close. One of our own investment committee members also making a major market call. We're going to debate that, of course. You'll hear it in just a moment. Joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone, Degas Wright, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets. 12 noon in the east, a nice bounce for stocks today. Dow's better than 300 to the upside. We focus a lot on the NASDAQ yesterday. That has a nice bounce today, just shy of 2%. That's a gain of 230 and a half points today, 212. 10-year note, Fed begins its meeting. That's the big story this week, of course. Our big question, though, are we close to the end of this sell-off, especially in some beaten-down tech names? Here's what Altimeter's Brad Gerstner told me on the debut of Overtime. We're in the neighborhood of a tradable bottom. If you have a two- to three-year time horizon, there is no doubt there are a lot of stocks that are going to be up well over 100% off this bottom. That Brad Gerstner on overtime and Kerry Firestone today says it's time to buy the most beaten down names. That's something, Kerry. <laughs> well, you know, Scott, markets tend to overshoot both on the upside and the downside. I would agree with Brad. We had this enormous run of particularly technology names, the cloud computing stocks, the electric vehicle stocks, biotechnology stocks. We had a year plus where people were home. Lots of investors were for the first time buying stocks using Robinhood and other apps. You had billions of dollars going into funds like ARK Invest. Mutual funds bought them. Hedge funds bought them. They went to the moon and then they began to correct. And they've corrected, in our opinion, too much. So if you have a list of stocks, 50 names in the NASDAQ Plus that are 50% down from their 12-month high, and many of them are earning big dollars, lots of cash flow, selling at multiples, we think are reasonable, you have to begin to buy them. That is the nature of what we do. When, when you have people saying at $120 a barrel that it's just the beginning, that oil is going to 250 and that there are no buyers for any tech stocks and they're going to continue to crash, we have to say to ourselves the most difficult decisions, the ones that make you uncomfortable and a little nauseous, are the ones in which you make the most amount of money. So, yes, we believe that this is the time to start buying, and investors should start to sell some of those names that have carried them over the last few months and have continued to hit new highs so, recently right. and buy some of Let, what let's, has bought, you know. Let's get specific, Carrie, okay? Because when you say... <laughs> You look at some of the things that have made you nauseous. I mean, DocuSign. You say it's time to look at DocuSign. The stock was $314, 52-week high. 
52-week low, 71 bucks. Today at 72. You suggest to take a look at Square exactly. today. That stock has gotten hammered too. Scott Minard yesterday on closing bell with Sarah said that he thinks that stock's attractive along with PayPal, owns both of them. Square, $289, 52-week high. 52-week low, 82 bucks today at 97. We're talking that specific on those kinds of names? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Twilio, PayPal, Shopify, DraftKings, uh, Zoom, Block, uh, Square, whatever. I mean, these are names that have been destroyed. I mean, this is the sort of thing at the bargain rack at, you know, at, at TJ Maxx. It's not even on the bargain rack. They, they, can't, they can't give this stuff away. So I, I think you have to begin to say, okay, uh, if PayPal is 16 and a half times next year's earnings and Twilio has a $100 billion addressable market, look at the companies and say, okay, we buy a little of this today, not the whole position. Wait and see what happens. You know, this is a choppy market. I'm not saying that they're going straight up, but I am saying that the market is not... Uh, it's not finished with these names. You, you, you look at the Nasdaq down 23% from its peak. It's one of the worst, uh, you know, periods of time in the Nasdaq history. So, you know, let, let's be real. We're investors. This is our profession. You know, so if you feel like you're going to throw up, that's part of the job. Yeah, I hear you. Excuse um, me while a, I do. It's, no. it's, a, it's a big call. But when do you go from looking to buying? Right. Two different things. Yeah. Well, last week uh, we we had a new account and we started to buy these names you did? In, okay. in, in that account. It, yeah. No, no. We're beginning to we, we're spending some money. Uh, we have retained a lot of our holdings. We had sold some. I and mean, we've talked about, about it over the last few months. Positions that were high, like some of Sherwin Williams, Thermo Fisher, you know, names Blackstone that we've done very well with. We've had cash on the sidelines. And for new money, we're we're putting it to work. Okay. I mean, that's uh, no, that, I something that, that we are, that, that's we are good doing. To know. Degas, is now the time to do this? Is, is Gerstner right? Are we at or near a tradable bottom? Is Firestone right? Are we at that point where you got to start putting some money to work that this has just gotten too far to the downside in some of these names which have gotten absolutely destroyed? You know, Scott, I think we, what we have to do is still focus on quality. You know, one of the names that we talked about is uh, DraftKings. And so when we look at DraftKings, it doesn't meet our requirement for quality. And so ultimately, DraftKings has increased their uh, long-term debt to about $1 billion over uh, last year. And so they have a heavy debt load. And also, we looked at, you know, what's a good company if you want to get in that space? We like MGM Resorts. So this is the time when you focus on your discipline and you and we're still buying quality names. So at this level, you can buy quality names. I don't agree with just buying the bottom fishers because you may still get hooked if you buy too early at this point. OK. All right. So I get a text right before the program today and it says we have seen at least a trading bottom. Markets have stopped going down on bad news. We would use last Wednesday as a blueprint for what to do. Who sends me that? Rob Seach in New Edge Wealth, one of the investment committee members. So we had him call in to tell you why he thinks we're also at a point where you need to start adding money. Rob Seachin, welcome. Why? Scotty, we may have even seen a permanent bottom. I'm reluctant to go there, but it's at least a trading bottom. Like COVID, uh, stocks got absolutely creamed. It reset the market. We wrung out a bunch of the crap. A lot of the unknowns are becoming knowns. Um, still a lot of unknowns, but you know what the unknowns are. Um, we've had two of our 
big committee members in our morning meeting this morning call kind of uh, interim bottoms at least. Glenn Mintz, fantastic portfolio manager. Bill Inglis, head of our research department. You know, parts of the market are cheap. Cash is on the sidelines. You saw yesterday private equity getting active. Same blueprint in, in COVID, uh, the rumored Nielsen uh, transaction. This morning, markets stopped going down on bad news. You had China shutdowns, vol in their stocks. The PBOC not lowering rates as expected. Um, listen, that, and, and markets behaving well. Um, One day would doesn't use, a story make, though, Rob. I mean, so today the markets didn't go down on, on some bad news. There's still a lot of arrows flying around that you have to watch out for. I don't need to tell you that. I mean, I hear you. Uh, Marco Kalanovic says too much bad news is, is or people are, do, are going overboard on that. Um, there are some f- suggestions that retail's getting back into the market that were buyers of the dip, according to Bank of America. But my point is, and Mike Wilson was with me yesterday in overtime saying as well, look, earnings revisions are, are negative. They're coming down. So everything you said sounds great. And it may work for a little, but the longer story isn't as optimistic as you might suggest. Well, what I would tell you is it's obvious. There's a lot of uncertainty related to the war, further inflationary pressures, increasing risk related to stagflation and recession are all possibilities. But we know that markets desensitized to bad news. Listen, bad news can absolutely get worse, as you point out, and you have to pay attention. You could have uh, uh, a, a recession. There's no doubt. That's not our base case scenario. Okay. And sentiment is extremely negative right now, Scott. And I just think that as long-term investors, as everybody has said, you have to use market volatility to take advantage. That blueprint that we had last Wednesday, you know, we came on the show and talked about American Express. I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday that we did that, but that stock is behaving incredibly well, and we're already making money in names you're, like that. Well, you're, so, not, you're not the only one. i got to let you go. I appreciate you calling in because i got to move to Stephanie Link of Hightower, who also owns American Express, been buying it recently. She joins us on the phone because she has some new buys in this market as well. Rob Seacham, my thanks to you. Stephanie Link, welcome to the program. Boeing, Wells Fargo, you bought those. Why now? Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Um, both are company-specific, um, and it's based on the action um, or the negative uh, reaction to the uh, to the overall market. Boeing is down 12% year-to-date, so adding to it. It usually trades on the 737 MAX news and 787 production and delivery status, and they're making progress on both. It also trades on free cash flow, which was actually better than expected last quarter, at almost $500 million versus a negative $4.3 billion year over year. And that's only going to get better as we reopen. And now I know people, myself included, focus on aerospace and services at 55% of the total revenues. I don't think they're getting much credit for their world-class defense business, which is 45% of total revenues. The Department of Defense is 85% of that, and the book to bill is 1.2 uh, four times. They have $16 billion in cash, and they just paid down $4 billion in debt. Um, as I mentioned, the cash is going to go higher as we reopen, and you get a catalyst with the China recertification coming in the next couple of months and the 787 production issues uh, getting resolved. So I like this company. I like the fundamentals, and it's down 12%, so I'm buying more. 
in terms of Wells Fargo, you know I've been on this story for a really long time, but it's down 15% from its highs. It trades at 1.2 times book, 12.7 times earnings. They just raised the dividend. It now yields 2%. The restructuring is making progress. We are seeing results. In their guidance, they expect higher NII, net interest income, and better cost guide. And this is the most levered to rate. 50 basis point increase in rates is 16% to earnings. A 75 basis point increase in rates is 8% to net interest income. So you have operating leverage. You'll have better top line. You've got good cost controls. And I think you can see $6 a share hey, of earnings power by if 24. You, if you think, sorry to interrupt you, if you think rates are actually going to go up. I mean, I was surprised to hear Scott Miner yesterday on closing bell say that he thought we're topping out two to two and a quarter was where he was looking at for the 10 year. I mean, if we're topping out now and the economy's slowing, that's not necessarily a great environment for the banks. It certainly isn't as pretty a picture as you paint in terms of the earnings power that Wells has. Well, Wells is a restructuring story. They don't necessarily need higher rates. It will help a lot in terms of getting to that $6 a share in earnings power for sure. But what if the Fed starts to deal with the balance sheet? That will steepen the yield curve, and that will be a positive. So I am in the camp that the Fed, that the Fed does four times this year, and then we become data-dependent. We're all going to be data-dependent. I don't think four times or seven times, for that matter, in terms of raising rates, is going to slow the economy materially. Okay. Yeah, we're going to slow, but I don't think we're going to go below trend. Not this year, anyway. Steph, I appreciate you calling in. We'll see you back on the show soon. That's Stephanie Link, Hightower. All right, Josh Brown. I got Gerstner. Check. Minard. Check. Kalanovic, check. I got Firestone, check. Seachin, I mean, the list is getting long. People who think we bought them, do you? Well, that was, that was quite a, a first 12 minutes of the show. I was beginning to think that you forgot I was on today. I would never do that. Uh, don't make up for it in all one thing here, okay? We got a lot of time to go yet. Yeah. I don't need to hear 25 no, minutes I, of chatter now. It's okay. Answer my question, please. All right. Listen, I'll do it. I'll do an abbreviated 18 minutes. I would just say that we are preparing ourselves for a very different environment from everything that I've just heard uh, in, the, in, in the opening of the show. Um, bear market rallies will come along. They will be sharp. They will be painful for people who overstay their welcome on the short side. You can have stocks that have fallen 80 percent, go up 20 percent in two days. It still doesn't make a dent in the long term chart. It does make a dent if you're leveraged and you're short or you used options and you have to pay the piper. So it's not going to be fun in either direction, but the main trend is still lower. Now we're starting to see credit spreads blowing out. We're starting to see uh, some stuff happen in the triple C group. Um, and we're going to see that spread, I, I would suspect, in the coming months. The banks are already pro uh, pricing in much, much more bankruptcy activity than we would have saw, thought even two or three months ago. The war is a game changer. Historically, we have never had, a, had an inflation spike to this degree that wasn't quickly cured by a recession. The good news is corporate balance sheets are outstanding and America's best companies should have no problem weathering this downturn. Consumer balance sheets are very good as well. I think most households should be okay here. Um, but we have to be thinking about the R word. I, I'm, I'm not an economist, not a prediction. I'm just telling you 10 times in a row when we've had an inflationary spike event like this, recession has been the thing that's come after. That's right. So you could bet this time is very different. And the 11th time it won't work out that way. And that might be true. Don't forget, the pandemic has screwed with everybody's uh, charts and data and economics. But 
Um, I don't think it's appropriate to be looking at a day with the Dow up 300 points and making a grand pronouncement about, okay, this is the bottom. Maybe it is. The odds are that it's not. Well, I'm sure they're and, looking at. I'm sure know, they're looking at more than just a day's activity. I know. I know. Kerry is, but nonetheless. And Dr. J, I'm going to ask for your they're patience. They're looking at the little. multiple coming down. Yeah, well, it's come down a lot. Judge, they're looking, they're looking, at, PE, they're looking at the PE multiple coming down. Yeah, but the problem is that the E is going to start coming down, too. So, so as was just cited by, by our last uh, guest, you're seeing negative earnings revisions. And it's been a long time since we've seen them. Mm -hmm. And historically, that is not a one-quarter phenomenon. It's very rare. So... Look, I don't want to be right about this. I don't want to be the guy that comes on TV and upsets everybody. And certainly, I'm not telling you it's impossible that we're not at a bottom. I'm just giving you, like, the weight of the evidence. It's going to be tough. Hey. And the good news is, the good news is, uh, Carrie is right, Seachin is right, yeah. uh, Brad is right. If your time frame is three to five years from now, most of this won't matter, and if you're a buyer, it'll actually be good. Look, But can you hang out the way you are for six months to a year? I hope you're positioned correctly for that. I feel you. I mean, look, Santoli yesterday said the burden's on the bulls. I mean, you got to really show me something at this point to suggest that you've got something to build on it. Dr. J, I promise I'm going to come to you in a second, but I want to go back to Kerry because Josh didn't just rain on your parade. He hailstormed all over it, right? He suggests that not really. Oh, no. not, I love Carrie. There's no reason Knock that off. He, yeah, yeah. He, he gave a number of reasons yeah. as to why uh, you and these other folks yeah. calling for a bottom and putting money in the market here are just wrong. Well, for, first of all, I, I didn't say it was a bottom because you know, that's not the sort of thing I would want to predict. What what I said is that there are many stocks that are attractively priced if you can hold them for a couple of years because they have businesses that are we solid, they're market leaders, many of them generated cash. Okay, so we, we agree with that. The market could go lower. The Nasdaq has gone down 23% from its peak. And many of these stocks have gone down so much more than 23%, multiples of 23%. So I said that there are places that we would put money to work now. And we have waited, and anyone who put money in two weeks ago, a month ago, two months ago, whatever. Those people keep being wrong unless they've owned the right names. But at this level, we feel comfortable or actually sick to our stomachs putting money to work because we can see that the market, if you look at the market balancing what it's buying and selling, there are many days where the market goes down that, for okay. example, you know, I got you. PayPal I got you. Has, has gone down and hasn't gone. Yeah, I so got we're you, but picking if our spots. I, I hear you, but if you're, if you're suggesting to put money in those stocks specifically, you're kind of also saying that those have bottomed, that they've come down as much as they need to come down. They've overshot. I think you used that word. They've overshot to the downside. I did. Some are down 70, 80 percent. So in a sense, you are calling a bottom. If yeah. you're looking at the most beaten down areas it, of the market and suggesting it's time to put money to work, it's kind of what you're doing. Dr. Yes. J, settle the debate, please. Correct. Where, where are we? Where are we here? <laughs> I bet some big name people come on the network over the last 24 hours and say this is overdone. It's time to start buying stocks. Is it or not? or three-year time frame, I think they're all right. Doc, you got a but, microphone Scott, on? An awful lot. Of <laughs> you got a microphone on? You <laughs> waited yes, this long right to here. have no mic? I'll, I'll go back and check on the back of the it's computer. Give me one better. sec, Scott. No, it's a little... Oh, my God, he's getting <laughs> up. Okay. Yeah. can only Gotta do so get. much. I can only do so much. <laughs> Let's bring in... 
our halftime headliner today while Dr. <laughs> J figures this out and maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't. Our next guest has been more bullish than most strategists and one who has argued after a treacherous start to 2022 that stocks can still have a good year. Fundstrat's Tom Lee is with us now. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Scott. Um, will you admit that you've been too bullish on stocks? Yes. Uh, you know, I'd say that our base case for this first half of this year was stocks would be treacherous. Um, but it's been far worse than we expected. I mean, if, if I look back at first half 2022, it looks like, as Josh is describing, the market is really bent. I mean, especially economic expectations towards a recession. Uh, that was not something we expected. So it's been a far deeper correction than we thought possible. But I don't think the contours of the rest of the year change that much. So I think what's been sort of created as big headwinds you know, the decision point is going to be if, if we avoid recession. And, and I think for a lot of reasons, I don't think the U.S. is actually going to be breaking into a contraction. I feel like the bullish goalposts, though, have moved. And yet we still want to act as though nothing has really changed for the remainder of the year. I've got a Fed that's still going to be aggressive in trying to get a handle on inflation. I've got earnings which are already trending lower, which are undeniably going to be trending lower economy looks like it's slowing how do i deal with all of that and suggest that that stocks can still rise in that kind of an environment maybe they can maybe you'll be right but how uh well i mean there's it's part of its perspective i mean oil surged um, but at a hundred dollars a barrel you know that's where we were 2014 you know for almost four or five years and today on a price per barrel if you're paying 90 dollars for oil you know you're still paying like close to 200 for diet coke and 300 for a bottle of water. So oil's still pretty cheap. And as a burden, it's quite small. Um, and in terms of the Fed put, or sorry, the Fed not having a put because it's they have to tighten, I think it's really going to depend on uh, the path of the not only the war, but supply chain glitches. And I know it's a very difficult sort of period for the Fed to navigate, but I, I think everyone's or consensus is making a view of the Fed's turned hawkish. And I, I don't think that's true. I think they're trying to find appropriate policy but I do think consensus thinks they're so far behind they have to tighten to create a recession. So uh, that's that's a really second sort of point of distinction. And the third is I think there's been a lot of selling recently. Uh, I mean, of course, markets can fall for any reason, but I think we're forgetting that this, these sanctions against oligarchs, you know, that's close to $300 billion of externally managed money uh, that a lot of hedge funds now have to either freeze or redeem. And that's putting a lot of selling pressure markets, and, and that's going to abate. So I think a lot of things that we're seeing that look like amplified downside pressure could could be transitory. Are you still suggesting with a target of 5,100 for the year on the S&P that our viewers today should continue to buy the dip? Because, frankly, it, it hasn't worked at all, and they've been pummeled if they've done it. Uh, Scott, number one, you know, that... For our clients of Fundstrat and FS Insight, we have warned them that the first half would be quite treacherous. So I don't think we've been advising buying the dip necessarily. We thought we'd end the first half flat. But for going forward, I don't think investors can get hurt. Uh, I mean, the risk reward is just too strong. I mean, you've heard I've heard a lot of the guests just cite this, but for instance, take consumer confidence. We're back to sort of the great GFC crisis lows for consumer confidence. And since 1978, if you look at 12-month forward returns from this decile of consumer confidence, the median returns close to 17%. But 
over the next 12 months. So again, this is more than double your expected return for owning stocks. So I think the risk reward, a lot of bad news is priced in, but again, it could get worse if we actually break into recession. But again, I, I think the stock market is pricing more than 50% chance. I think that's far higher than what credit is pricing. Josh Brown, question for Tom Lee. Hey, Tom, it's Josh. Um, I want to make the point for the viewers that there's a difference between uh, a cyclical bull market and a, se- and a secular uh, bull market, and then the same for bear markets. So the framework that I think you, I know myself, and a lot of people who understand market history have been working with is that the spring of 2013 was the start of a secular bull market, but within a secular bull market, you can tolerate several cyclical bear markets. They come and go. They tend to be less than 13 months uh, in duration, um, and they don't disrupt the primary uh, trend, which is expansion. Wouldn't it be possible this year for us to end up in a recession caused predominantly by higher prices, a lot of which recently is war-related, but still be okay coming out of that? Like, would it be the the end of the world to have the stock market go up 30%, 20% the year before, 30% the year before that, and then have a recession? Because for me, that seems like a reasonable conclusion to draw that we're just going to have a a little bit of digestion here. What's your take on that idea? Uh, I agree. I mean, first of all, uh, the NASDAQ's already in a bear market. Um, and it's yep. it's been nearly six months. So I think in some ways, if you had to say where was speculative excess already being tamped out, uh, it's evident. The broader question is, will the S&P be taken down? But the difference is financials and energy. Uh, you know, we like energy. It's still our number one sector pick. And if rates are rising and we don't have a recession, financials will hold up. So I think that what we need to watch is if it's the NASDAQ bottoming. If it's bottoming, it's priced in this huge pain delivered. You know, the sanctions are delivering a lot of pain to Americans. And, the you know, the reality is, is the Fed going to amplify that pain by doing seven hikes? And I, I almost think that if there's huge fiscal tightening already because of sanctions, I, I, I'd be surprised if the Fed follows with seven hikes. So you're correct. Uh, I think there's a bear market in the NASDAQ. It's cyclical. Um, I just think in the second half, a lot of what we think are tailwind, headwinds become tailwinds, and that's what helps the market recover. Let me ask you a couple things um, before I let you go. I'm looking here, energy's up 28% year to date. You just reiterated the fact that it's your top sector. You don't think that the best gains are behind that space at this point? I mean, look, one day or two doesn't make a whole market, but I mean, oil is now, it's $97. It's down another 6% today. Those stocks are up so much. You really think that can continue? Uh, you know, I think oil is structurally going to rise, even though we know it may have an uncertain future. And that's because oil has become part of national security for many countries, which was not the case two years ago. Energy stocks were considered uninvestable in 2021. And in 2022, I think a lot of folks are just trying to get to, to equal weight exposure. Uh, but energy stocks are still cheap to oil. Uh, even the OIH with this move is still pricing in maybe $70 oil. You know, $90 oil means OAH could still double. So I, I think that uh, profit-taking makes a lot of sense. They're overbought. Uh, our technician, Mark Newton, actually thinks, you know, oil actually is going to rest here for a bit before making new highs. But I, I still like energy here. All right. I'll make that the last word. Tom Lee, I always like the conversation. Appreciate you coming on the half. We'll see you soon. 
Yeah, thanks. All right, that's Fun Strats Tom Lee coming up. We'll find out how the committee is playing some trades moving ahead, including energy, which Tom Lee just talked about. John's got some moves you need to hear about in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is considering going to Brussels next week to attend a meeting of NATO leaders that was just announced. This all according to NBC News, citing two sources familiar with the matter. In response to U.S. sanctions on top Russian officials, the Kremlin is now responding with its own sanctions against President Biden and several other top U.S. officials. They will not be allowed to enter the country. And also on the list, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. In a tweet, she thanked the Russian Academy for its Lifetime Achievement Award. Canada's parliament gave Ukrainian President Zelensky a standing ovation today. Speaking by video link, he told them that almost 100 children have been killed since the war began. And tonight on the news, a look ahead to Zelensky's virtual address to the U.S. Congress tomorrow that's set for tomorrow morning. And in other news, prosecutors have begun talks with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and four co-defendants being held at Guantanamo. The New York Times reports that the U.S. is looking for a plea agreement that would drop the possibility of execution to resolve the long-running case. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Okay, Dr. J, are you back with me? I think so, Scott. Uh, yes. I, th I think the mic is working. <laughs> it, it absolutely <laughs> is. You sound great. I mean, let me. Can I see you? Are you back in the chair? There he is. I was wondering. Yeah. I didn't know if you were coming I'm back. I'm sitting there. I understand, Doc. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, understand, mm -hmm. I understand that you sold. Now you have no more energy holdings. You sold all your energy equities? That's. Yeah, I did, Scott. Um, you know, basically, the, your viewers know that I sold a third of the position when we hit 114 in crude oil, mm -hmm. reloaded with some calls as it dropped. Then we hit 128. I reloaded with some calls. And after last week, I'm completely out of all equity exposure. I'm only in call options. And that's primarily in uh, the transportation mechanisms for crude right now, Scott. ET, energy transfer, KMI, Kinder Morgan, those are the sorts of stocks. And I do have a long-term XLE trade on right here. But I'm happy I did, obviously, on days like today, uh, because 
you know, uh, again, we were worried about how fast we went up, which is why I was selling those stocks, and how quickly we might break. We just broke the 20-day today, mm -hmm. went through 101 like a hot knife through butter. The 50-day is down at 91, I think, Scott. These are the 50-day moving average, 91 for April crude. And I'm using those levels to make my trades in Chevron, Exxon, all of those stocks. So as we were breaking down, I said, okay, party's over at least for now. As Tom Lee said, I still like energy long term, but right now I'll stick with transmission until I see more of a washout. Today might be one of those washouts breaking through that 20-day moving average. Do you, do you think we're going to get more days like today, Doc? I mean, the same sort of thing I asked Tom Lee. This trade is done incredibly well. Great trades don't last forever. No, they don't. And I, I think what you do, too, is you look at November, Scott. We were at 56 in the XLE, that spider that tracks much of the uh, energy sector. And uh, we hit 78 last week. That's a massive move uh, for energy. Um, and so now we've traded down. Um, I think it's attractive again. But again, I want to put on call spreads for that move. I don't want to own equities because, again, we were, you know, as far as crude oil itself, Scott, probably more like 70, 75 prior to the troops massing on the border and then the war breaking out. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're testing back down to these levels, Scott, not surprised. Um, I bet Mark Fisher would say the same thing, although I haven't talked to him since you and I were on with him last week. I'm glad you came back, Doc. Forgive me for taking so long to get you today, but it's good to have you on. Dr. J. No problem. Great to be here. Degas, on energy, you own Chevron, you own EOG, Enphase, and BP. Are we topped out or not? Scott, we've topped out on the maybe the price of the stocks, but what we look at also is this is a long-term holding. We look at the dividend yield. So as these stocks may flatten out, we still have the dividend yield anywhere from 3% up to 4%. So this is still a good, and we're slightly overweight in the energy space. You mentioned Enphase, which is on the alternative side. They make the microinverters for solar panels. So we are exposed to the uh, traditional energy companies like uh, Chevron, BP, EOG Resources, but also Enphase, which provides us exposure to the alternative side. So this is the way we're looking at the energy space. All right, having a good day today up a... One and a half percent on, on Enphase Energy. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, the ETF that tracks cloud stocks is down 30 percent this year. We're going to debate what altimeters Brad Gerstner told me on overtime about his cloud stock holdings, what he thinks that stock can do from here. We're making it our call of the day. And our plan, your vote tool is now live for the midterms with key information on voting rules where you live. Head to NBCNews.com slash plan your vote. We're back on the half right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind. 
just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Ultimately, Snowflake will be worth a lot more because there is almost endless demand for the product. And this is a business that is highly profitable. It will get there three years from now because its free cash flow margin will continue to expand. And if you just give it, give it the multiples that are currently in the market, right, that have already drawn down on free cash flow, you get to that 3x that I quoted. If multiples expand, then you have even more upside. Okay, that was Brad Gerstner on overtime yesterday making the case for Snowflake. You heard what he said. Josh Brown, look, you can easily say, okay, here's a guy just talking his book. Or you could say, look, he knows what he's talking about, believes in the fundamentals of this company, and his time horizon is long enough, and his case is credible enough that it and maybe some of these other stocks that have gotten beaten up can easily get back to where they were. You say what? So I texted you yesterday after uh, watching your fantastic new show, Closing Bell Overtime. You had Brad, and I gave Brad a lot of credit for showing up and not just talking his book, but really explaining like why some of the things that we're seeing with holdings like this are happening. And I thought he did a really good job. And I think on certain names, that will turn out to be true, which is that, yes, these companies were very highly valued. Now they're a little bit highly valued because they've come in, but the fundamentals will overwhelm that, and in time you'll make money from here. That's fine at 168, but if you're holding since 400 on that same premise, Uh, You may never see that price again. People forget uh, how important valuation was coming out of the last tech boom. If you had bought Microsoft in the year 2000, they tripled their earnings over the next decade. You know what the stock price did? Nothing. Zero. Bomber ended up leaving. And, And then the stock took off. So you could have Snowflake quintuple its earnings. It's not a guarantee that you'll eventually make money here. So I own a few high-flying stocks too, right? I'm not immune to the allure of high-growth companies. I'm in CrowdStrike. It's not cheap. Um, And Snowflake may end up working out for the same reason I think CrowdStrike will. But I don't think we should look at individual situations and say, this will be true for all of these stocks. Many of these stocks will continue to go lower regardless of growth rate and may even disappear when their growth rates turn out to have already peaked. So don't just buy things because of what analysts tell you the growth rate might be two years from now. Decide how much pain you can take between now and then and whether or not you even want to. I hear you. I mean, I don't know if Microsoft is the greatest example simply because, I mean, you it's can a easily, great example. Well, you could, I know, but it you could easily. 60 times earnings. I, I understand that. I, you're, that part of the example, I think, is obviously perfect. However, you also had a company that didn't didn't innovate at all for a number of years. And the times they tried. It's not true. It's not true. Yeah, I I get it. I get it. Listen, a little bit of a difference. Listen, in in the in the end, the fundamentals in some look, Snowflake is an incredible business. Nobody would argue otherwise. 
That's why it was able to come public at 100 times sales, because we all agree. So then the question is, well, what will a great business, innovative or not, be worth paying for? The problem is a lot of these stocks, and I was in them too, they're out of context now. So a year and a half ago, did it make sense to buy PayPal at 120 on its way to 300 growth, et cetera? Yes, but that context is over. The cost of money is rising. The 10-year treasury is at 2%. The Fed funds rate is probably going to go to 1%, 1.5% within the next year. It no longer makes sense to be betting on 2030 EBITDA projections. So it's not, is this a good stock or not? It's, is this a good stock in the current context? The context has changed, well, I think Brad would agree, for sure. markedly today yeah, versus a year ago. Of course, and, and that's why the stock price reflects the change in the mm -hmm. environment in which we, we live. Carrie, give me a quick comment on these, because you, you own Twilio, Adobe, Salesforce, and Amazon, but that's obviously a little yeah. bit of a different story. Yeah, well, I think what Brad is saying is if you know a company well and understand its cash flow, its sales, its costs over the next several years, and you can make the case using whatever type of model you use, whether it's PE or dividend discount or some sort of multiple EBITDA or sales, if you can make the case that this company will exceed what the expectations are for it now in whatever price it's selling. And, you know, no one's made money in Snowflake now because if you bought it at the IPO, you've lost money. But he's looking at it with fresh eyes, and he says, at this price, we can justify the price of the stock, which is what we've done. You know, what Josh is saying is if you looked at Microsoft, or Cisco is, the, uh, I think, the best example, at the end of 19, um, 1999, it was selling at a price that, you know, it, it didn't achieve for 20 years because it couldn't meet that multiple. The expectations were too high based on what people were willing to pay for the growth. It grew, it continued to grow, but it never could get that multiple again. And it was a multiple for earnings. These were multiples of sales, these companies. But if Brad can make the case, and we're able to make the case, and if investors can do it on the stocks that they choose to buy now, I think it's worth taking okay. that risk. All right, still ahead, John has unusual activity. Plus, we'll find out how the committee is playing some winning areas of the market today. There's your market picture. Dow's good for nearly 500 points. Tech with a nice bounce back today. Nasdaq's higher by better than 2%, 260 points plus. We're back right after this on The Half. Take a look at Berkshire Hathaway. Class A shares topping $500,000 yesterday for the first time. Shares up 10% on the year. You probably know Josh Brown owns Berkshire B shares, and he has made it his final trade on numerous occasions. What do you do with Berkshire now? Give me something on this stock. So I'm staying long. I'm a long-term investor here. This thing's been an absolute tank. It really was not the place to be in 2020 and 2021, for most of that year at least, as people prioritized other things like total addressable market and the quality of their memesmanship, which was lacking. But this year is a return to sanity, and Berkshire is outperforming 28 out of 30 uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average components. It looks better than almost everything in the S&P, other than a handful of materials and industrial stocks. And I think that can continue, given the mix of where they get their, their book value, their revenue, what this company consists of. We know that insurance premiums are, A, mostly recession-proof, and B, a good inflation hedge. 
as insurance contracts run off, people don't say, oh, the price is going to be higher. I'm not going to renew. Obviously, the railroad has been incredible this year, obviously, with all the commodity demand. Um, and then you think about all the cash. It's $140 billion. God forbid we have a recession or a worsening economic environment. That's a ton of flexibility for Buffett to do what he's done best over the years. And then you look at Apple and you think about that, the importance of that position, the fact that Apple paid Berkshire $800 billion in, in a, a dividend, uh, $800 million in dividends last year. This is an enormous investment that they've made. It's paying off. And now it looks like they're building their next position, which is Oxy, which is going to be a huge investment for them. Uh, if natural gas prices stay elevated. So many, many, many levers to pull, many ways to win. I think the stock should be okay for the balance of the year. I'm sticking with it. All right. We will take a quick break, and when we come back, John has that unusual activity right after this. Well, thank goodness Dr. J came back because then we have unusual activity, Doc. Exactly, Scott. Thank you very much for your patience. Um, CCJ is the first one today. This is a uranium play. Um, it is up 40. It was up 42 percent. It's having a bad day today. But on that bad day, they're stepping in to buy more. Why is that? Well, uh, Germany was going to shutter a whole bunch of nukes, six of them by the end of the year. They're no longer going to be able to do that, Scott. And nuclear energy will continue to be in high demand and a lot of the cutbacks that various countries have made are now turning into demand uh, replacing those cutbacks so ccj they're in there aggressively buying um, basically the september 25 30 35 calls in fact they bought 25,000. that's 2.5 million share equivalent out there in september more than $10 above where the stock is trading today. So they're not just looking for that 42% return I talked about since the 1st of February. They're looking for a lot more, Scott. Second one, weekly trade. This one's deep end of the pool, of course, because it's so short-term. NVIDIA, NVIDIA, everybody complains when I say NVIDIA. NVIDIA, um, they're buying the March 230s again. So they've been buying this one on dips forever and they're back buying today scott and i'm in this one all right i appreciate that dr j thank you we'll take a break we'll come back final trades next thank you big hour coming up today for eastern closing bell overtime mark lazary avenue capital will join me tomorrow jeffrey gundlock will be with me on the fed's big decision day i can't wait for that both of these interviews today and tomorrow 4 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll see you in overtime. You never know who's going to call in with a late-day trade as well. You don't want to miss that, nor do you want to wait till the next day to find out either. So we'll have to see what happens. Dr. J, you just bought some energy calls right now? I did, Scott. With the stock at 35 and a half, I bought SM Energy. That's Sierra Michael. SM Energy. A lot of Texas exposure here. Proven reserves. I bought upside calls looking for the stock to trade higher over the next month, month and a half. Thanks for bringing that to us. See, the stock is moving higher as we talk about it sure. here. SM shares up 2%. Carrie Firestone, what do you have? Well, I'll give you Twilio since I talked about it, but it has an enormous addressable market and enterprise communication. We talked about how it's down. We think 30% organic growth for many years to come. And so this is a point to buy the stock. Okay, thank you. Degas, 
uh, like CVS Health due to its digital healthcare innovations, successful acquisition of Aetna, and growing demand for pharmacy. Okay, thank you for that. Josh Brown. IEO, this is the iShares U.S. Oil and Gas Exploration and Producers ETF. I think you can buy the dip right here, trail it with a 200-day moving average stop loss. Thank you very much. I'll see you in overtime. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.